And as you're finding your place in, in your pew there, you can be finding your place in the Bible, and that's, that place is Acts chapter 9. So we'll be in Acts chapter 9 um, again this morning. Um, Todd did mention uh, Wedstrong, and, and we did have a great, great time. A, b- a big group of us uh, were there. Um, so it was a great teaching, just great time of fellowship. Not the best drive home for most of us. Uh, we went through some weather and, and, and some, some pretty heavy rain on the way home. But um, as far as I know, um, as far as I know, nobody had any problems with our group. So if, if you happen to be at Wedstrong, we have a, a number of people that stayed down one more night and, and plenty working in, in the uh, childcare this morning. But um, if you happen to be at Wedstrong, I want you to stand up just to, as you can see kind of who some of the people that went. And so I just, I just do this so that you can ask them for, for next year, ask them, you guys can be seated. But you can see who the, the group that went, and, and um, if you're wondering, man, I should go, you know who to ask. Um, I'm sure they'll tell you that, that it, was, um, it was a worthwhile time. We, the things were a little bit different this year in that uh, we had our praise team was a part, so Wayne and, and our praise team uh, uh, helped lead the, the worship in a couple of the services, and and did a great job, and so I know at least Wayne, Sarah was part of that too, right? So at least Wayne and Sarah, you know, were all weekend uh, doing uh, praise down at Wedstrong and then back up here this morning, so, so I'm appreciative of that. So if, if they're a little tired, uh, please forgive them, but um, that was good. I do encourage you um, to invite someone to our Christmas Eve service uh, on, on the 24th. That'll be a special service. We'll have special music. Uh, it, will, it will be um, an evangelistic, gospel-centered mes- message, Christmas message. And, and so if you have somebody that, that you know would come, man, invite them, get them here. They're going to get the gospel uh, that morning. We'll have a great time uh, together. So that's coming up in, in just a couple weeks. And so it's as crazy as, as that is. Um, so be planning about that. Be praying, be, be praying for that uh, service and, and who, who you can bring with you. But today we're back in Acts chapter 9. And and in this chapter, we're going to see the narrative shift a little bit this morning. The first 30 verses were focused on Saul of Tarsus, his conversion, that his road to Damascus experience uh, with the Lord Jesus Christ himself, his early years in ministry, his time away in Arabia to get revelation from the Lord. And we went through all that in some detail over, over four messages and so we studied his transformation, that unique conversion experience that he had, all the personal work that he put in behind the scenes, the revelation that God gave him that, that will eventually move him from Saul of Tarsus to the Apostle Paul. And as we closed out that section of Scripture last Sunday, we saw that he was ran out of Jerusalem. So he had spent those first three years in Arabia and in Damascus, hearing from the Lord and ministering. He made his way uh, to Jerusalem. The apostles still, after three years, were a little hesitant to receive him, but they do. But the same trouble that he experienced in Damascus followed him to Jerusalem. And, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> and so he's ran out of town because they're trying to kill him. You know, the Jews are trying to kill him. And, and, and so what we're going to see from that is Saul moves off the scene for a little bit. Now he's going to show back up in chapter 11. And by the time we get to chapter 13, Saul is going to be the, the main focus through the rest of the book. He'll, he'll turn to Paul in Acts 13 verse 9. Um, that, that's the first time, Acts 13 9 is the first time he's uh, 
called Paul. And then he's called Paul the rest of the time. God never calls him Saul again. You see Saul a couple times in Acts 22 and Acts 26, but that's just as he was recounting his own testimony from what happened to him in Acts chapter 9. So by the time we get to Acts 13, we get to the Apostle Paul, and, and we get to see his work throughout the rest of the chapter, or throughout the rest of the book. But as I've stated over and over throughout this study, Acts is a transition book. It transitions us from the Gospels and the Old Testament dispensation into, into the church. And there are many transitions, one being Peter to Paul, that sort of thing. But the primary transition is God's focus moving away from the nation of Israel and to the church, what's being birthed as the church or as the body of Christ through a new dispensation known as the dispensation of grace that was given to Paul. And he lays that out very clearly to the Ephesians in the first seven verses of Ephesians chapter 3. And we won't take the time to read all that, but, but let me show you just to kind of set the stage of where we're going to be going in Acts. I'll read the first two verses, Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, if ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given me to you, word. So that's where we're heading in the book of Acts, and that's part of the revelation that Paul received in Arabia. But, but chapters 8 through 12, we're right where we're at, right in the middle. We're, we're in the end of chapter 9. They are the, the primary transition section of this transition book. And so what we're going to see today is the narrative is going to shift back to Peter for the next you know, chapter and a half or so. When we get to chapter 10, Peter's going to have a, a very interesting interaction with a man, a Gentile man by the name of Cornelius. And we're going to see Cornelius get saved, and, and God's going to use Peter, the apostle to the Jews, to be a, a part of that. And it, it's very interesting. We'll, we'll study all that when we get there, but it's part of this transition. But today we're going to see Peter roaming about Israel, doing the work of the apostles. He's going to be performing miracles again. We're going to see a paralyzed man healed this morning in verses 32 through 35. Then he's going to raise a lady from the dead in verses 36 through 43. Those are two very important miracles with, with very interesting parallels. And we're going to compare and contrast both of those miracles next Sunday as we close out this chapter. And I'm, I'm going to give you the doctrinal pictures in them because they, they point to some very important things for us. And they point to the fact that even though God's in, in the book of Acts, God's moving away from Israel. He's going to come back to them, and he's going to save them. And so that's going to be a fun message. The pictures are cool. It's tribulation context, and so, so that, that's going to be fun. But before we get to all that, today I, just, I want to take a very, very practical look at this first miracle. And I'm going to give you some practical tools and, 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 and try to get you to see not only the definition, but the importance of biblical rest. Or, or peace, the peace that God offers us, and how it is so important to the mission. Because what we're going to see through Peter in, in this first miracle where he's going to uh, heal this paralyzed man, um, everything that happens comes out of the rest that the churches were given in Acts 9.31. We talked about that a little bit last week. That was all made possible because of the rest that God gave the churches. And there's a, just a, a beautiful picture in there for us that we need to understand. That there is a rest that God provides for us as believers in Jesus Christ that allow us, that propel us forward in the mission. And if we don't understand this, we're going to get in some trouble along the way. 
even with the best of intentions. And so we saw that last Sunday, and Acts 9.31 is just one of the great summary verses. Luke is the author of the book of Acts. There's just multiple times throughout this book where he just takes one verse, and he kind of just sets aside, and he just summarizes everything that's been going on. Acts 9.31 is a a great one. It's just one of the many examples. And so those first 30 verses, we see everything happening with Saul of Tarsus. And and he, he is converted, and his life is changed. And he's transformed, and God reveals to him what the future holds. And he goes about the mission. He does it in Damascus. It's time for him to move to Jerusalem and get connected to the apostles there and start going. And, and you know, there's persecution and persecution and persecution. And then God says, you know what, we're going to reset for a second. And we're just going to move Saul aside. And we're going to give the churches rest because there's some stuff I need to get done. And I'm going to show you that verse again. We looked at it last week, Acts 9.31. And then the churches had rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria and were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Ghost were multiplied. And this is, again, just such an important picture for us as we go through times of life that are busy, that are uh, um, a struggle even in the work of ministry, that there are times that God needs us to seek him and rest. And now we're going we're gonna to talk about what all that means. It's not just doing nothing, but there's important biblical principles to understand for us. And, and rest, that word rest, is a great Bible study. It's a great word study to do. It actually has multiple meanings based on the particular verse and the context of the verse in which it's being used. So, for example, there's physical rest. We all get tired. We need to relax, not surprisingly. That was true of people in the Bible as well. And so you'll find the word rest used just in that physical term many times. Then there is the rest that the Bible talks about entering into that in context is talking about the millennium. It's the thousand-year rest. It's the seventh day. It's the pattern that God set in Genesis chapter 2 through creation when he rested. And then that that is a picture of of what the millennium is going to be. You can find that discussed throughout the Bible. It's it's certainly discussed in some length in Hebrews chapter 4. And Hebrews chapter 4 is a passage that's often misunderstood and it's often taught incorrectly. Doctrinally, the author of Hebrews there in that particular section is is addressing the nation of Israel. He's dealing with the Jews' inheritance and their entrance into the millennium. But in the middle of that chapter, God does carve out a couple verses that directly apply to us, that directly apply to the church. They're verses 9 and 10. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 9 and 10 says, There remaineth therefore a rest, to the people of God. For he that entered into his rest, he also has ceased from his own works, as God did this from his. And this is speaking for us about entering into the rest of salvation, which is not entered into by any work of our own. It's only by his work. <clears throat> it's only by the finished work of Christ through which we have access to that rest or that peace. You see that rest and peace are used synonymously a lot in the Bible. And so we are given, at the point of salvation, we are given an internal peace with God that comes through salvation, trusting in that finished work of Christ. So we are at war with God. We are enemies of God. But at the point we accept, through a free will offering, his his offer of salvation, we are reconciled to God. We are made at peace with God. It's a, it's a beautiful thing, and it's nothing we could do on our own. 
We just have to accept the finished work of Christ. But once you have that internal rest, that internal peace with God, then there's another rest, a separate rest that God offers that enables us to get through this life. There's an internal peace of God. We have peace with God through salvation. But then he also offers us an internal rest, an internal peace of him that we can have as we walk through the enemy territory of this world and deal with everything this life has to throw, throw at us. This is what the Bible describes as a peace that passeth all understanding. But that's an internal peace that comes from God. It's the peace of God. But that rest is something that we actually have something to do with. It's available to all believers, but it's not automatic. You see, peace with God is automatic in that it comes with salvation. If you accept the offering of Christ as, as the payment for your sin, then what comes with that is you have been made to be at peace with God. It's automatic in that sense. But we receive this other rest, the peace of God, only as we spend time with God. Jesus himself said that this type of rest comes through him even before he died. There was never confusion. There never is confusion about the sole source of rest in the Bible. It's the Word. It's the Word. It is the physical Word of God. It is for us. It is the written Word of God. There's a sole source of rest, whether it's through salvation or whether it's through sanctification. As we, it happens as we spend time with God. This is what Jesus was talking about in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. He said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And in this passage, we get insight into what biblical rest for us today in this dispensation really entails. It is a rest unto our souls. Let me, let me tell you how Jeremiah explains it. Jeremiah 6.16 uh, says it like this. Thus saith the Lord, stand ye in the ways and see and ask for the old paths. Where is the good way? And walk therein and ye shall find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk therein. And like I said, this is a rest that does involve some level of work on our part. Jesus said, all you that are out there that are laboring, come unto me and find rest. But you notice what he didn't say? He didn't say stop laboring. He didn't say that. And we'll, we'll explain that. We'll talk about that. Jeremiah said, if you want this rest for your souls, you must walk in the good way. You see, there's action involved to receive this rest. You know, we certainly do not work for our salvation. But after salvation, our life is to be lived in service to him through works. We are his workmanship, created unto good works, Ephesians 2.10. So God provides us a way to receive rest in the midst of our labor. And that's done as we spend time with him, as we come to him, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, and we sit with him and let him reveal himself to us through his word. And that time is so important, but again, that time is not about not working. That time is to propel us so that we can work. 
we get time away and we spend time with God so that we can get back about the mission. And this is how we can fulfill Galatians 6, 9 that says, and let us not be weary in well-doing. For in due season we shall reap if we faint not. And that principle of not being weary in well-doing was important enough that Paul repeated it to the Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians 3.13, he says, but, be, but ye brethren, be not weary in well-doing. And, and I'm, I'm taking an extended time here in this introduction to kind of set the stage of where we're going this morning. But as we bring this back to our text in Acts 9.31, being weary in well-doing was absolutely a risk for the new churches that was springing up in Jerusalem and Judea and in Samaria and in Galilee. Because they were under, up to that point, up until Acts 9.31, they were under intense persecution. And that's just a heavy burden to bear. Many of you know that personally. And whether it's persecution from living the Christian life or just dealing with the issues of life that that unfortunately this sin-stained world provides for us. and You know, there, there's just things that we all go through that are heavy. And they're a heavy burden to bear. But as we talked about last Sunday, as we've already talked about this morning, when Saul was moved out of the way, the churches had rest. And I just want you to know that, that being weary and well-doing is, is a risk for every single person in here. Myself as well. There's a weariness to ministry. There's a weariness to life. Especially as just the spiritual war drags on. Especially as we inadvertently slip into serving the Lord or living our life in our flesh. And all of it just gets to us over time. And that's the devil's intention. That's why biblical rest is the key to ministry sustainment. And it's the key to just being able to continue on and serve the Lord in this life. And that rest, that peace, saved the churches in Acts chapter 9 from being weary and well-doing, and it propelled them in the work of the ministry. And that's what, exactly what we're going to see in Peter this morning. I'll explain it as we, as we go along. And that's, God has set it up the same way to work in our life as well. If we're burdened about and heavy laden, the work of the Lord will suffer. It just will. So I want to encourage you this morning. This, this message, I hope, will be a, a great encouragement to you, especially many of you that are burdened about with what life has thrown at you, what ministry has thrown at you, whatever it may be. And I want you to see what is truly available to you if you'll just give everything over to the Lord by trusting in Him and just giving up control that you're trying to hold on to. Through salvation, of course, but then for those of us that are already saved, through that process of sanctification, as we decide to turn away from our flesh and live the life of Christ and get our rest through him as we spend time with him. So let's see how this plays out in our text. I know it took us a while to get there, normal, longer than normal, but um, I thought it was important to lay that foundation for where we're going. We're going to start back in verse 31, where the church has received this rest, and then we'll see the results of that rest down through verse 35. So Acts 9.31, after Saul left Jerusalem, the Bible says, Then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria and were edified. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost were multiplied. They received that comfort. We talked about all that last week. Verse 32. 
<clears throat> and it came to pass, as Peter passed throughout all quarters, he came down also to the saints which dwelt in Lydda. And there he found a certain man named Aeneas, which had kept his bed eight years and was sick of the palsy. And Peter said unto him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ maketh thee whole. Arise and make thy bed. And he rose immediately, and all that dwelt in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. And that's all we're going to focus on for this morning, but we're going to get some important principles for what the results that, that this rest can provide us in our life. So let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask him to lead us in that. Dear Heavenly Father, I uh, just thank you for this, this time that we had this morning. Thank you for bringing all of us back safely uh, from Wedstrong, those of us that have made it back. I pray for those that are still coming back today that you'll, you'll do that for them as well. Um, and Lord, I just um, thank you for the opportunity we have to gather as a body this morning and, and, and talk about this important topic of, of just spending time with you and, and, and getting our fulfillment, our sustainment for life through you. Um, Lord, there's, there's a lot of ways that the world tries to get us to, 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 as a copycat for that and to try to get, give us false peace through the, the, through the things of this world. Help us to see the reality of where the only real peace, the only real rest comes from, and that's through you. Lord, I pray that everything that is said is true to your word. I pray that you're honored through all of it and that you're glorified in our service to you. We love you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as you can see, obviously in the verses we just read, we're back to Peter. We talked about that. We're back to the ministry of the apostles. It's the signs and healings. That's going to that's gonna all cease, and we'll, we'll talk about that as we move through this book. But make no mistake about it. Things were absolutely changing because what we just read was that Peter was passing through all the quarters, the Bible says in verse 32. And all the quarters is a, diff, is, a, is a reference to the different sections of what was the land grant to Israel. And there's no way really to definitively um, say what those quarters were, at least not that I found through my study and, and, and through my research. But there, you see divisions of Israel laid out multiple times throughout the gospel. So Matthew 4.25, for example. We're not going to take the time to look at these. If you're interested, you can write them down and look it up later. But Matthew 4.25 lays out different divisions of Israel. Mark chapter 3, verses 7 and 8 lays out four different divisions of Israel, as does Luke chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. The thing about all of those is they're just a little bit different in how they describe them. But based on the immediate context here in Acts chapter 9, I think it's very safe to say that those quarters included Judea, Galilee, and Samaria. That's what we find in verse 31, and, and you find those in those other verses that I referenced as well. So that was Judea to the south, Galilee would be to the north, and Samaria was that space in between. And so that's where Paul is moving about, and, and maybe the fourth is the uttermost, according to Acts 1.8. I don't, I don't know. But what we see is Peter on the move, and that's, that's a change. That's different than Acts 8.1. And the persecution that had been led by Saul, what we saw in Acts 8.1 was that it scattered the disciples, but not everybody. Look at that verse again. Listen to Acts, what Acts 8.1 says. And Saul was consenting unto his death. That's back to the death of Stephen. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And obviously Peter was an apostle, so he had, would have remained in Jerusalem at least for a while. Now we do know that he did begin to venture out later in chapter 8 because he and John went to Samaria to help Philip. But by chapter 9, Peter's going everywhere. 
and beginning to live out the mission of Acts 1.8. And that brings us to the first result of the rest that those churches were experiencing. And that is an, an involved freedom. The result, the first result of the rest that re they received was an involved freedom. You see, it was after the churches had rest that we find Peter moving about Israel with, at a minimum, a, a new level of freedom. <clears throat> and, I, and I chose those two words, involved freedom. I, I, I chose those two words carefully. Not only because I must alliterate, and I will alliterate through the rest of the points, but, but not only for that reason, but because the freedom that Peter was experiencing was not just to fulfill his own fleshly desires, his own selfish desires. That's not what the freedom was about. His freedom didn't lead him to do nothing for the Lord. No, it, his, that freedom led him to be more involved in the ministry. Look at verse 32 again. And it came to pass, as Peter passed throughout all quarters, he came down to the saints which dwelt at Lydda. He came to the saints. He was using his freedom to serve. And listen, that is what the freedom we get from the rest that we receive from the Lord. That's what it is to provide to us as well. That rest provides a freedom to serve the Lord unencumbered. It's not a freedom to waste your life on Netflix and lake living. And I say that as a person who really enjoys a good Netflix show. And I enjoy the lake as well. And listen, in moderation, of course, everything is fine. My, my point here is certainly not to make any legalistic demands of your time. That's not what I'm getting at at all. But at the same time, if, if we are not using the freedom that we receive from Christ to serve him in some capacity, then we're doing something wrong. And so that's how Peter lived his life. The persecution heat on the church had let up. So Peter's response was, let's get after it. Now's the time. We don't have any time to waste. Let's be more involved. Let's get going while we can. I'm going to go out and about everywhere now. And listen, you need to understand that if there had not been this rest, Peter couldn't. He would not have been able to move about so freely. He would have been imprisoned at a minimum. He had already experienced that earlier in Acts, and he will experience that again in Acts chapter 12 when they kind of bring things back in. But at this time, there was freedom. He was free. So he was taking advantage of it. He wasn't in bondage because of his service. And there is just a great spiritual picture there related to what we talked about earlier of being weary and well-doing. Because like I already mentioned, there are times in our life where life and ministry are just difficult. And it's draining. And it's tough to get up in the mornings. And you, you feel like you're a bit bound. And listen, there have, been, there have been Sundays this year that I didn't want to come down from my office to preach. But, I'm, but, but you have to. You, you make yourself do it. And in those times, if you can just find a way to the Lord, you have a promise of rest. And when God gives you that, he gives you that reprieve. It's not so that you can just kick back and take it easy. 
is so that you are re-energized and re-powered to get back in the game and to be more involved and to be more involved with joy. It's always been God's plan for his children. Listen to what he said in Romans 6, verse 18. Romans 6 is one of the great chapters of the Bible. It's weird to even say because they're, they're all Bible. They're all inspired, preserved words of God. So I don't know how you say one's better than the other. But Romans chapter 6, just as far as practical living, and, you know, it just starts out, you know, what say we then? If, if, if does, it should sin abound? You know, so should we... Uh, abuse God's grace so that sin can bound in our life? No, don't do that. God forbid. And he goes through to describe what happens to us. And he gets down in verse 18. And he said, being then made free from sin, you have this freedom in Christ that you've been given. What, what do you do with it then? You became the servants of righteousness. You see what he's saying there? Now, you didn't get your freedom from Christ to then go live life for yourself. Before, he said, you were a slave to sin. And now we're servants, but we're servants of righteousness. We're, we were being free so that now we can be involved in the work of the Lord. You can't be involved in the work of the Lord until you've been made at peace with God. And then use that peace of God to go about in that service. Listen to what Paul wrote to the Galatians in, in Galatians 5.13. For brethren, you've been called unto liberty or freedom. Only use not your liberty as an occasion to the flesh. It's not about you. It's not about yourself. But by love, serve one another. And listen, this right here, what I'm describing, is, is just the problem for too many Christians. They were made free in Christ. But they never took that freedom as an opportunity to serve him and serve others. They're just selfish. They were just selfish with it. And happy that they're not going to spend eternity in hell and happy to live life the way they want to anyway. It's a, it's a selfish focus that's unbiblical. And then there are others that actually did start serving the Lord. They were made free in Christ and they understood it and they were thankful and they started serving the Lord, but at some point they hit a wall and they got weary. Instead of going back to Christ for that renewed rest, they just quit. And they got ran over and got uninvolved and went back to just serving themselves. And this is all so interesting to me, I, you know, from sitting in the position that I sit in. I, I, I watch things play out in our church, in our body. And I, and I see the cycle of people, right? I see the cycle of people that come in and out and and. And man, you know, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a burden. I, I, I hate it when I see people come in and they're getting excited and they get saved and God's changing their life and I, and I just see the risk. I can see it. And I just know, man, if we can't get them right now, I don't know what's going to happen. And something happens. And they cycle back out. And I hate it. And I see people that get saved and they'll hang around and they'll get involved in ministry. And then something happens. And they hit that wall. And there's just this, this cycle of people in and out of ministry, in and out of church. And then I see people that will come in and, and, and they'll, they'll try to get involved or they'll desire at some level, at least express a desire to be involved. But then, but then they'll complain about the process. And they'll say, man, I'd, I'd, really, 
I'd really like to be involved, but I don't, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. There's no place for me. Or they just, you know, they'll accuse us maybe as leaders sometimes of saying, you guys just, you guys just use your favorite people. Like you have special people that get special attention around here and, and they get to do all the good stuff. And I'd like to do it. You know, and, and if you think like that, I, I want to just tell you in love. And I mean this from the bottom of my heart. I want everyone involved. I want you involved. I want everybody involved, but listen to me very carefully. The people who are already involved in what God is doing are usually the ones that are given new opportunities. Because God keeps his richest ministries for his busiest saints. So you got to start somewhere. you just got to get involved. You see, there are just some Christians that seem to get involved in everything that God is doing in this church. And some people might view that from the outside and think that's favoritism. It's not. It's God's hand on their life because they're getting rest from him and then they're using that rest to propel further service. You see, as leaders here, we're trying to follow the Lord and we're trying to see the Lord's hand on your life and the Lord's leading in your life. And listen to me, it's a lot easier for the Lord to lead your life and handle you and steer you and operate you if you're already moving, if you're already going somewhere, if you're already on the move. Because listen, when God's got a job that needs to get done, he doesn't go up to the dusty shelf of dilapidated, impotent, non-functioning Christians and say, you know, I think I'm going to use Billy Bob for this, this role. He's not served me in 25 years, but I think this is his chance. That's just not how it works. So don't complain about not being used. Just go seek the Lord and find a spot. Get started. God uses people who are already in the mainstream flow of what he's doing. And that's why some people have an abundance of ministries. While other people are sitting around saying, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. There's not a spot here for me. And just do nothing. You see, and I, and I put this on your outline sheet. Everybody who is active in the church and desires to be involved seems to be able to find enough to do. Everybody who's active and you really desire it seem to figure it out. Seem to figure that entry path, that entryway. You know, you've heard of the principle, the rich get richer, right? And that's sometimes viewed in a negative light, but it's not all bad. Listen, that can apply in terms of spiritual richness as well, because when you get involved for the right reasons, you'll find that God will continue to open doors for you. When you're just doing it the right way and you're going about life the right way, just consider Peter with all the burden he carried. I'm sure he was a busy guy. He's moving about through all the quarters and people wanted his time, I'm sure, to sit with him and to counsel with him and hear him preach and to get him to perform miracles. And yet God, he's busy working, 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 and God just keeps opening new doors and new doors and new doors. And we're going to see the same with Paul. And there was never any into it. And that is just how God works. So you just need to start somewhere. Use the freedom that you've been given in Christ as your reason to get involved. Be active. Show up. 
a life group. Get involved in children's ministry. Get involved in new beginnings. Whatever it might be, just show up somewhere. And, and insert yourself. And so I'm going to let the Lord use me, however. And listen, I promise you, people will start taking notice after a while. Get discipled. Find a ministry. Just take your next step. It doesn't matter where you get involved. It matters that you get involved. And God can direct you from there. I've showed you this verse multiple times before, but it is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. I just love it, as certainly as a pastor. It's Genesis 47, 6. It says, the land of Egypt is before thee. This is, is Pharaoh. He's talking to Joseph. This is when Joseph's brothers and his dad, father had come back. And Joseph's trying to set them up with a place in the kingdom. And so Pharaoh's like, all right, that's fine. He's like, Here, here's what you do. The land of Egypt is before thee. In the best of the land, make thy father and thy brethren do well. You can set them up with something. In the land of Goshen, let them dwell. And if thou knowest any men of activity among them, make them rulers over my cattle. So he's like, here's what you need to do. We got, we got a bunch of cattle. You can let them do whatever, but we got these cattle that need to be taken care of. So if you know any men of activity, put them in charge of that. He didn't say, here's what he didn't say. Hey, if you have anybody that knows a whole lot about cattle, if you know someone that studied cattle for years, men never worked in the field with cattle, but they've really studied them. They went to school and studied agriculture, and they studied cattle. you really knowledgeable about that. No, that's not what he said. He wants someone active. He wanted someone that was already moving and already working, that was already involved. So I just, I just want to ask you, does that, does that phrase describe you? I love it. When it comes to the God-given mission we have, would you consider yourself a man or a woman of activity? Not of knowledge, not of understanding even. Those are super important. They're part of it. But are you a man or woman of activ activity? Are you actively trying to live out the Christian life and the freedom that you've been given through it? Have you used the rest that God has given you through salvation to then serve him with your life? Here at FBC with us? I hope so because it's what the Bible prescribes. Well, God created Adam, he gave him a job. Paul modeled this lifestyle throughout his ministry. 1 Corinthians 15.10, he said, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Now, this next phrase is key, and we're going to talk about this in a little bit. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. But listen, and, and I put this on your outline sheet. What you need to understand is Christianity is not a spectator sport. It's not a spectator sport. Listen, uh, you know, if, if you've been around here anytime, you, you know that I'm a football fan. I'm from Kansas City. I like the Chiefs. I'm not going to talk about how good they are, that sort of thing. We'll see after today. We'll see. This is a big game today. But so I cheer and I watch and I'm really involved. And I use the terms like we, <laughs> like I'm part of the team. You know, like, oh, man, we got a big game today. There ain't no we in that. I, I'm certainly not getting paid the money they're getting paid. But I ain't playing the game that they're playing. I ain't getting hit the way they're getting hit. I don't have that talent. There's no way I could be out there on the field with them. There's no we whatsoever. But listen, that's how Christians are. And we have this big thing at church on Sunday. Do you? Or do others? Are you involved in it? 
We have life groups on Wednesday night. Do you show up? We have these ministries. Are you a part of them? It's not a spectator sport. Football for me is a spectator sport. And I'll get caught up in the fun of it. Don't get caught up in the fun of church. No, be involved. We're all to be involved together in the mission. That's what a church is. It's a body working together according to God's word to give God glory. It's not just a group of religious people that gather together on a Sunday morning to worship together. This is very important. What we do in here on Sunday mornings is super important. But as important as it is, what we do in every, every Sunday is just training for us to go live the Christian life out there and the ministries that we have. If you just get involved and stay involved, you'll inevitably get to the point where you sit down at night and say, God, I don't know if I can handle the stuff that you're giving me to do. And you'll be on the brink of being weary and well-doing. And in that moment, God is just loving, lovingly calling you back to him. And say, just come in. Just come spend some time with me. Once you, once, you come, once you come rest, if you're heavy, if you're laboring out there, come get some rest from me so that you can get back out in the game. That's what it's about. It's getting back out there. And if you do that, man, that peace will return, that freedom will be realized, and your involvement won't feel so burdensome. God is good to give us rest. But again, the rest is for a reason that involves in glorifying him. And that brings us to our second result of rest. And that is an intentional focus. Intentional focus. And we see this point play out a couple of different ways. First of all, when you have rest, instead of being focused on the problems you might be facing in this life, you're able to focus on the mission. Look back at verse 33. And there he found a certain man named Aeneas, and which had kept his bed eight years and was sick of the palsy. And Peter said unto him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ maketh thee whole. Arise and make thy bed. And he arose immediately. <coughs> so Peter is out on mission. And he comes to meet with the saints in Lydda. And he finds this certain man. That's actually an important phrase. We'll talk about it next week. But I want you to notice the wording of that sentence there in verse 33. And it's important enough, I, I, I put it on your outline sheet. It says, Peter found a certain man. Not that he stumbled across somebody. Not that he was brought to this man. No, he found him. That means he was searching. That means he was intentional in his ministry focus. And again, this as a result of the rest they were experiencing. Because if, since Peter didn't have to avoid being captured. He didn't have to be worried in that moment. Like if he, if he had to be worried about man, that they're going to capture me. He's not going to be so open and, and, and intentional in finding someone. If he had to be worried that performing this miracle of healing this man was going to bring attention to him and from the persecutors, man, that's going, to, that's going to mess with your focus. So he wasn't distracted. He was focused on what God had for him in the moment. And he could, he could think of the Lord instead of thinking about himself. And it, it is so easy to get distracted from the mission when we do not have peace. Because in those times, we naturally think of ourselves. And I'm not even saying it's wrong to do. Sometimes you have to. 
But we're going to naturally think of ourselves when we don't have peace. When we're going through a trial and a struggle and, and, and we just don't feel the peace that, from God. That's especially true in the context of relationships. Paul pointed it out to the Corinthians with respect to the relationship of marriage. We just came off wedstrong. We heard this verse while we were there. 1 Corinthians 7.35 Unless I speak for your own profit, not that I may cast a snare upon you, but that which is comely, and that ye may attend upon the Lord without distraction. So this is in the context of marriage relationship. And God said, this is my goal for you. I want you to be able to attend upon me without distraction. And, and, and Paul's point was, when you're married, there are certain things that you have to care about that are worldly. And, and, and that, you know, provide some distraction. You, have to, you can't avoid it. That's part of, that's part of life. And, and the opportunity, the more, uh, certainly in a marital relationship, but in any relationship, the, the opportunity for broken peace is heightened. And, and many of you understand that and feel that. There's no peace in your home because there's, a, there's something broken in your relationship. And when that's the case, those things get in the way of our focus on the Lord. So let me ask you, is anything or anyone, is it, is, is, is it getting in the way of your attention to the Lord? Are, are you distracted this morning? Is there something or someone in your life that's keeping you from attending upon the Lord in the way he desires? If so, then just know that your enemy is, is attacking you, that you're under some, some sort of attack. And listen, there are so many distractions that we face that get us off focus, not only in relationships, but listen, we do this to ourselves. Satan doesn't even have to attack us. We attack ourselves because of our flesh. We have to fight it. We have to fight for that Colossians 3 mindset of seeking those things which are above, right? And having that, you know, having, having that mindset. The things of this earth are all meant to be distractions. And so that's what Satan does. He just flashes one thing in front of us, and then he flashes another thing, and we jump from here, and we jump to there, and we're just, you know, we're just, we're just distracted. We can't stay focused. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like the squirrel, or, you, know, you know, just going back and forth. Or it's, like a, it's like a kitten, you know. It's like you just throw this cloth, the string, and the kitten's just like, you know, and then you pick it, and, the, you know, it's like we're, we're like dumb animals, <laughs> We're like squirrels and we're like kittens and I'm sure there's other animals. I'm, I'm sure we're like a donkey. It's another issue. It's another word. But we're, we're like these dumb animals all the time, just so easily distracted. But this is what the enemy's just trying to do. He's trying to distract us. And he obviously does that through the things of the world. He does it by getting us to focus on ourselves and how we need to protect ourselves. And like I said, that's what... The, the struggles of this life so many times. We, we're distracted because we have to. And, and, and so, but if we're not careful, that, that, that crosses a line. And all of a sudden, we're just set on protecting our time. We're set on protecting our treasure because we want control. And we're worried. Oh no, what if, I, if I do this, what's going to happen? Or man, people are out to get us, so we have to look over our shoulder. And I say that because that is very likely what Peter would have been doing if God hadn't given the church's rest. He'd have been looking over his shoulder, seeing, man, when, when are they coming? They're coming to get me. And, and, and that is so dangerous because that is what we are, will naturally do 
when we don't trust in the Lord and give our situations and give our life over to him. And I'm not even pretending like it's easy. It's the hardest thing you'll ever do. But, but when we get in those moments, things seem like they're out of control. And we hate that feeling, don't we? And so what do we do? We go into self-preservation mode. Just go into self-preservation mode because we got to keep control of this situation. We got to protect what we have. Listen, God can do it way better than you can, I promise you. There's so many things in this life that you don't have control over anyway. You face a health situation that you just don't have control over. You face a financial situation that you don't have control over. So, but, but, but God can. And it's so hard. We, we're, we're trying to get to preserve ourselves and, and protect what we have. And God just wants us turning it over to him so that we can focus on him. So however they come at us, we need to be careful with distractions and be cognizant of the enemy's devices and, and what he's doing. We need an intentional focus. It's a sole focus on serving the Lord with our life, even in the midst of difficulty. Man, coming up, getting married, raising a family to God's glory, getting involved in this church. It's what God has for you. And it can be a struggle. And without rest, it's, it's hard. It's hard to be solely focused. You know, and just to think with the mind of Christ, having that sober mind. It's so easy to be double-minded. And, and when we're like that, when we're double-minded, the Bible talks about it, James 1.8, you know, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And the Bible, ta- the Bible talks about that, and it's just two minds. And, and you only see two minds in the Bible, like, right? If you study out mind in Scripture, you see two of them. You have, you have man's mind, you have Christ's mind. You have what's called the carnal mind, and you have what's called the spiritual mind. So when you're double-minded, you're thinking with both. You're thinking with, you're trying, you know, you're trying, okay, this is God's mind, right? And, and this, is what, this, is what I, this is what I need to do. I understand it intellectually. I understand it, right? Okay, I'm going to do that. And then you read it and you understand, okay, this, is, this, this means I just got to turn it all over to him and I got to surrender. And you're like, man, I don't think I, I, don't think I can do that. <laughs> that sounds pretty hard. I'd rather kind of keep some control on my own. And now all of a sudden you're thinking with your own mind. And you're thinking with human logic mind. And you're double-minded. You're double-minded. And so you're unstable. And it doesn't work. And, and listen, I, I put this in your outline sheet. I believe that being double-minded is one of the best descriptions of Laodicea there is. That's absolutely, it nails us. We are double-minded. Because we want it both ways. We want God to protect us, but we kind of want to protect ourselves too. We want God to bless us, but we want to control how that happens. Sometimes we want to be hot, but other times we kind of like to be cold. And then we just end up being neither. Just lukewarm. We want to serve the Lord when we want, the way we want. We want to be able to turn it off when it's not convenient or it's a little too demanding. So Jesus said, Revelation 3.15, I know that was speaking to Laodicean church. I know that works, thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that work cold or hot. Double-minded. Can't commit to one or the other. It's, it's why we see so many unstable Christians and unstable churches today. Ones that are not grounded and secure in their footing in God's word. And listen, here's why this is key. Because being grounded in God's word and having his mind 
is so important because according to Paul, that is how we get rest. When we go to his mind and we allow that to control us, it's Romans 8, 6. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and what? Peace. It's rest. If you can be spiritually minded, if you can use the mind of Christ, there's peace available. And that word peace, it's the exact same word translated rest in Acts 9.31. It comes from having God's mind. As we go to him and spend time with him in his word, it allows us to be recharged and refocused on what's important. And what's important is the exaltation of Christ. And that's the second aspect of this intentional focus. <clears throat> the first part is, is you're, you're solely focused on the mission, right? You're free. You're free to do that. And then the second aspect of this intentional focus is that when you're doing that, you're focused on the exaltation of Christ. That's what Peter did when he healed this man with palsy. He said, Jesus Christ maketh thee whole. And what a great statement that is, not only for what it says, but also for what it doesn't say. Because it was Peter's disclaimer that he doesn't have power in himself. You see what he's saying and not saying? He didn't come there and say, hey, hey guys, I'm Peter. I'm here to, I'm here to heal you. He didn't say that. Who does Peter want to exalt? Jesus Christ alone. So not only does he have an intentional focus on the mission and ministry, he has an intentional focus on exalting Christ and not himself. And listen, no ministry ever has true fruit that is not set for the exaltation of the Lord Jesus Christ alone. The very moment you begin to think that you can do it, and maybe there's just something a little bit special about you, that God's going to use you a little bit differently than he uses everyone else. You've disqualified yourself from fruit and fruitfulness. And the sad thing about that is we need to be constantly reminded of that fact because of our stupid pride and our self-generated ability and activity that just gets in the way of what God wants to do. Listen, whatever is being done to God's glory is being done by Him. Whatever's being done to God's glory is being done by Him. It's not being done by you. Remember what Paul said in Ephesians 6.10? Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. We have no strength elsewhere. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now unto him is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. But his power works in us, but it's not from us. It's from him. So we cannot ever say, I did this for the Lord, or I did that. Listen, you and I, we've never done a thing for the Lord. It's only what God has done through us. Anything we tried and that we did, that was undone. 1 Peter 4.11, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom he prays and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And this right here is the battle of the Christian life. Serving in, in, in the spirit and not in the flesh. My whole last point, I talked about we need to be men and women of activity. We need to be involved. We need to serve. We, you know, Paul said he labored more abundantly. Yet not I, but Christ that liveth in me. So that's the battle. We're to be involved. God gives us freedom so that we can serve him. We can be servants under righteousness. And that's the way we, gotta, we have to be, but we can't do it in our own strength because we don't have any not to glorify him, not to bring about real true fruit. But boy, that's a battle, isn't it? Because we like that glory too. 
because we're double-minded. Not intentionally focused on him and his exaltation. We want part of it too. But you're able to get that intentional focus on exalting him as, you, as a result of rest. As you spend time with him in his word. And you get his mind. And it's renewed. And you go back out to serve. Now you have a mind and a focus that God can really use. And that brings us to the final result of rest, which is increased fruit. Because when you're serving the Lord unencumbered with freedom and intentionality, and you're focused on Him and the mission and not self-preservation, your work will be fruitful in ways that you could never dream of. And for Peter, he healed one man, and God just multiplied it. Look at verses 34 and 35 one more time. And Peter said unto him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ maketh thee whole. Arise and make thy bed. And he arose immediately, and all that dwelt in Lydia and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. And it all starts with this guy named Aeneas. He was healed instantaneously and completely. And guess what he is told? When he's healed, he is, set, he is told to arise and make thy bed. Listen, this is the exact same command given to Philip, given to Saul, given to Ananias, which was arise and go. Right? We went through that in some detail when we went through chapters 8 and 9, that command a few weeks ago. And here's why it's the same. Because what did Aeneas' bed represent? He said, arise and make thy bed. His bed represented a place of immobility. His bed represented a place of immobility. He had the palsy. He couldn't walk. His bed was where he was stationary and, listen, unable to go. He couldn't move. He couldn't move off of it. So when Peter said, arise and make thy bed, he was saying, arise and go. Because you don't need that bed anymore. Just pack it up. Make it. Pack it up. You don't need your bed anymore. Go on. Arise, be about the mission. And what did Aeneas do? He obeyed immediately. And he arose and went and he became a walking testimony of the Lord's power in his life. He was the first fruit of Lydda and the surrounding area of Sharon. And when people saw him, they were like, whoa, look at what God did in that man's life. And everyone that saw him turned the Lord, and that was fruit that Peter wasn't even planning for. It was just something that God did. And I, and I love the phrasing, they all turned to the Lord, and we're going to continue to see that same response as we move through the book of Acts. For example, Acts 11.21 says, And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. That's part of repentance. It's what Paul preached to the Gentiles. He told Agrippa that that, that was part of the revelation God gave him, Acts 26. Verses 19 and 20, Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision, but showed first unto them of Damascus and of Jerusalem and throughout all the coast of Judea and then to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God and do works meet or comparable or suitable for repentance. So as part of repentance, you change your mind, you change your direction, and you do works that prove you mean it. And then when people do repent and turn to God, that is true fruit. And how awesome it is when we get to be a part of it. But God works in amazing ways through us because we've received rest and peace from him and we're about the mission. And we see one person come to Christ and they bring others. That's true fruit because it's turning them to the Lord. And that is the way it has to be. It's such important phrasing because it's not true fruit unless they are turning to the Lord. And the truth is there are a lot of people who've left a trail of followers around the world, but they're not followers of Christ. They're followers of some man. And it's okay if that man's a follower of Christ and pointing people to Christ. That's what, what Paul said. Paul said, be followers of me, 
even as I follow Christ. But there are too many men out there trying to build their own kingdoms with their own followers. They're not getting people to follow Christ. That is false fruit. Our sole responsibility is to point people to him and let him do the work. John 12, 32, and I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. We don't have that ability. We just lift him up. And we bring him and we say, look, look at him. Look at what he did for me. He could do the same thing for you. And then Christ says, I'll draw him. You don't have to do that work. Let me do it. Just lift me up with your life. And you can only do that as you seek rest from him. And you seek his mind. And you put on his mind. And you put your self-preservation out of the way. And you give up control. And again, it's the hardest thing you will ever do, but it's absolutely possible through him. And he promises to get you through. And then fruit comes. It's just the way God works. It is what he does for his own exaltation. And a really effective personal ministry is based upon a total absorption and a preoccupation with, exalt, with the exaltation of Jesus Christ and him alone. We need to continue to face the fact that we have nothing to offer. Nobody should turn to us. They should turn to the Lord. And aren't you glad Peter understood this? Aren't you glad they didn't start a Peter cult there in Acts chapter 9? Listen, they tried to later in Corinth. They said, I'm of Paul and I'm of Apollos. And, and Paul put a stop to it and said, no, you're not. You're of Christ. That's what causes division right there. When you're following men, you're going to be divided. Instead of following Christ, if you're siding with men over Christ, you're in trouble. And you're going to cause division. We all need to be of Christ and turn to him. And what a great result of rest that is. More people in God's kingdom, more disciples of Christ, increase fruit. But it will never happen if you, if you don't get to the place where you can receive rest from the Lord. You need his peace in your life. And if you don't have it, can I ask you what you're waiting for? When are you finally going to give in and give up and truly surrender to him? Doing it your own way won't work. I promise you, I've tried it. It's miserable. And you, some of you know what I'm talking about. So we give up this morning and experience true rest in him. The results are incredible. Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed. And if you've never come to a place in your life where you've given yourself over to him to receive the free gift of salvation, man, why don't you do that this morning? Quit trying to save yourself. You can't. It's not possible. Give up and give in and get the peace with God that's promised by placing your faith in the finished work of Christ. You can't earn it. There's nothing you can do. You can't be good enough because the standard is him and he's perfect. But you can put your faith in him and let him pay for it for you. And that'll give you the peace with, with God. And once you have that, if you already have that, if you're a believer, and you know what that means, and you've been reconciled with God, but you're not experiencing the peace of God, will you surrender that, the, the, the life that you're trying to live on your own, and just give up control to him and go to him and get his mind and live with intentionality and focus according to what his word has to say and just try it his way for once and see what happens and see what fruit he'll bring about and see how he'll use you in this life? Man, it's worth doing, I promise you. 
Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. And thank you for all that you're doing in our midst. I pray for anybody here that doesn't know you, that they would get saved this morning if they need to. Lord, we love you. We ask all in Jesus' name, amen.